On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, you have heard from Hamilton City Council about the idea of an arena on the mountain at Lime Ridge Mall. You've heard from Bulldogs owner Michael Andlauer about the idea of an arena at Lime Ridge Mall. The one person, the one group, the one company you haven't heard from is Cadillac Fairview that owns the mall and that is very vigorously behind this idea. You'll hear from them now. And let me give you a hint. They're not exactly happy with the decision council made. The bigger question, though, is will this impact the proposed $890 million redevelopment of that area? You'll get your answer in a moment. We're also going to chat about a speech that was given that proposes that home ownership is now a regressive, old-fashioned canard that we should be abandoning in favor of all living in rented apartments in dense areas. Is that really, really what we want? Well, we'll talk about that too. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. There has been much discussion over the last number of weeks and particularly in the last 24 hours about the idea of an arena up at Lime Ridge Mall. Yesterday, City Council at their GIC meeting gave the thumbs down, essentially have killed off that idea. And over the last number of weeks, we have heard from a number of city councillors we have heard from Michael Andlauer, the owner of the Bulldogs, who, by the way, will be on with Bill Kelly tomorrow morning. But the one person, the one group, the one company, the one part of this that we have not really heard from is Cadillac Fairview. They own Lime Ridge Mall. They were part of this as well. This has an impact on them because there's been lots of talk about redevelopment and millions of dollars going back into it. More than anything, though, the number one taxpayer in this city, they are relevant so what do they have to say about this? Well, Wayne Barwise is the Executive Vice President of Development for Cadillac Fairview. He joins us now. Wayne, thanks for doing this today. Uh, hi, Scott. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Wondering what, right, let's get into it right off the top. What's your response to Council's decision yesterday to say no to yours and Michael Ann Lauer's proposal? Yeah, so firstly, look, I think they made the wrong decision. I think the decision lacks vision, and I think it's... Uh, I think it's short-sighted, and I think they ought to reconsider it. I think that they based the decision on uh, wrong numbers. Uh, I also think that it's really important to, in addition to investing downtown, to invest uh, in the suburbs and in the mountain areas. And that's a trend which is happening uh, all across the country. What we're seeing is the urbanization of key suburban nodes. Uh, this is a key suburban node. I mean, Lime Ridge being the largest uh, taxpayer in the center is important to the community. Uh, retail's going through a tough time, as everyone knows. Sears closed a year or so ago. And it's really important to, to, to reinvent these centers. And one of the best ways to do it is to, is to reinvest with entertainment uh, and, uh, and sporting complex that could be a catalyst for all kinds of subsequent development, uh, hotels, uh, residential, um, and it's important uh, to to do that. So many things you just said in there that I want to jump into, so I'm going to go at this one at a time. Um, You mentioned that you believe they made the wrong decision. Do you believe they had the proper information and chose not to look at it, or do you believe they didn't have the right information at all? And I'm talking about the city. So I think they've... um, They've interpreted things uh, incorrectly. I've also heard a couple of councillors make what I think are uh, erroneous statements that, you know, why should we give, uh, give the private sector $100 million? And that's not at all the case. I mean, let, let me just take you through 
through the numbers as 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 we would uh, as as we would see them. Uh, a six thousand seat arena, you know, we could build for for seventy two million. Um, you know, parking uh, eighteen hundred parking stalls. Uh, you know, twenty-five to thirty thousand a stall at twenty-five thousand a stall, which which is what we spend to build parking decks at our, our at our centers across the country would be about forty-five million. So um, you add those two numbers together, and you come up with a total that's about one hundred and seventeen million in cost. Now let's look at at the other side. Uh, the city is currently spending about uh, you know two point five million dollars a year in maintenance and operating subsidies to uh, to run first Ontario Center over 25 years that's about 62 million you add in the 30 million that Andlauer uh, offered to kick in and this, there's 90 million dollars there available to the city between what it saves on first Ontario Center and the 30 million that Andlauer kicks in that's 90 million Cadillac Fairview is kicking in the land for free, and we haven't even valued that into the equation. So $90 million that the city is getting going against the cost of $117 million means the delta is $27 million. So that basically the city has to invest $27, $27 million, um, and against that, they're going to get, uh, by the city's own numbers there, the incremental tax revenue from the sports arena and the other development that would be triggered at Lime Ridge, they're saying it's going to be 5.8 million a year in uh, uh, in, in in tax uh, over 25 years. That's 145 million. So, you know, this notion that the uh, that the city's writing a check to uh, to the private sector for 100 million dollars is just plain nonsense. There are, uh, we've heard lots uh, all over North America about how malls are struggling. Uh, e-commerce and online buying and everything else are things that affect it. Is Lime Ridge a healthy mall at this point, or is this the kind of thing that would keep Lime Ridge a healthy mall before things start to catch up with it? So look, uh, everyone's aware that uh, that Sears went, uh, went bankrupt in Canada over a a year ago, and, and they closed all their stores. There's there's one at Lime Ridge, and uh, and that's been vacant, uh, vacant for the last year. Um, so the city's going to be losing tax money on what it used to collect um, on the on the Sears property. Uh, you know, we're currently paying about twelve million dollars a year in tax from from Lime Ridge. Um, everyone, and we have about seven million visitors a year, and we do about three hundred million in sales volume. Um, but all retail is um, uh, is under attack these days. I mean, we're going through a whole retail disruption uh, in the world. People people have choices now. They they, they buy things uh, via the internet. They buy it on their phone. Uh, and um, you know, traffic at retail centers is is down. The the good centers, uh, we believe, uh, we we own you know. 19 uh, shopping centers across the country. The good centers will 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 continue to do well if we continue to reinvest in them. And when you can buy something and have it ordered to your home, the only reason you're going to go to a, uh, a retail center 
is because it offers a good experience. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're chatting about Lime Ridge Mall, about that area, in light of the arena decision yesterday that you've heard lots about here on the station. We've heard from most of the principals up until now. We had not heard from Cadillac Fairview that owns the mall that was part of this bid. We always hear of it as Michael Landlauer's bid or the Bulldogs bid. Well, it was that combined with Cadillac Fairview. Wayne Barwise is the Executive Vice President of Development for Cadillac Fairview. And Wayne, just before I had to cut you off for the break there, you were talking about how to to remain a healthy and vibrant mall and stave off online shopping and everything else. You have to keep the malls relevant. There's a mention in the city report that was filed of an $890 million redevelopment, $800 million redevelopment from by Cadillac Fairview of Lime Ridge. Would that or could that be affected in some way by this arena being not going there? Well, sure it could. I mean, in order to, um, firstly, to, to get people coming to the mall, you've got to create enhanced experience. They want a variety. They just don't want to buy fashion. They want to come for food and entertainment. And, and something like an arena becomes a real catalyst. And, uh, and once you have that kind of catalyst and you build that excitement, that enables you to then go and build hotels, to build residential, uh, because you have an amenity-rich environment where people want to live, they want to work, they want to play. Um, you know, we've developed a number of these um, sports-related uh, complexes uh, uh, across the country. Uh, you know, back in, um, uh, uh, in 2000 and 2006, we developed Maple Leaf Square next to the Air Canada Centre uh, in Toronto. There was nothing there. And uh, it was that initial $500 million investment uh, in partnership with the Toronto Maple Leafs with the screen. We created the square out front, which has become Jurassic Park, and uh, and it's become a, a really uh, successful uh, venue. That original $500 million of investment has created $4 billion in spin-off investment. We're doing the same thing in Montreal right now with the Montreal Canadiens, where we bought up all the land around the Bell Centre, and we've been building residential condos. Um, we're about to build a hotel. We built office buildings. So... You know, there. You, if you take a sports complex and you and you do it uh, with a um, with, with the right organization, the right team, people who understand that, uh, and Michael Landlauer understands that. I mean, not only does he own the, the Bulldogs, but he also sits on the board of the Montreal Canadiens, and he's seen what we've done in Montreal. And when he came to us, he thought we could do, you know, at a smaller scale, of course, but he thought we could do something similar here at. Uh, at Lime Ridge. So not only would it help the help Lime Ridge, but I think it helped the community of Hamilton uh, uh, up in the mountain. And, and it would it would trigger a lot of spin-off development, not just on, on our site, but on the surrounding sites as well. So I want to clarify when I ask about this again, is there a chance that by turning down the arena on the mountain, that $890 million or part of it could be at risk that wouldn't be invested into the city? I think the short answer to that is yes, it is at risk. And, and um, you know, to just start tomorrow building um, building residential on that site, 
uh, is probably a questionable thing because uh, you know you've got to create some some excitement uh, some excitement for people. People have not traditionally chosen to live uh, at a shopping center, right? We're trying to transform the shopping center, so it's more than a shopping center. So it's a mixed-use community. Um, so you know you you need other things. You need catalysts. Uh, and some people would say then, Wayne, some people would say then that you're a private company. That's up to you to figure out what that private or what that catalyst is, not up to the public purse. Well, look, we just went through the numbers and we've indicated that if, if, if we do this, I mean, uh, I think it's a bargain for the city, secondly, and a full development. Uh, by their own numbers, is going to have incremental tax revenue of 5.8 million a year over 25 years. That's 145 million dollars, as opposed to, you know, currently paying 12 million dollars a year. And if, um, you know, if if, if the mall uh, starts to slip, uh, then the current tax revenue, the current 12 million, is going to decrease. It's, uh, it's a fascinating topic. I wish we had a lot more time to deal with it, but I certainly appreciate your time today, Wayne. Thanks for doing this. Okay. Thanks, Scott. Glad to chat. That is Wayne, Wayne Barwise, Executive Vice President of Development for Cadillac Fairview. Fascinating stuff uh, with huge potential implications that I really hope are not what happens. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Read a piece on thespec.com today that I actually had to read twice because it was so unexpected what I saw. The headline was, Homeowner Alert. Feeling any shame yet? And according to the reporting of this story, a guy named Evan Sidall was speaking to a housing conference in Toronto and he explained that homeownership is really a bad idea. Here's a quote. Our dream of home ownership is static and regressive. This is what he reportedly said. We need to call out the glorification of home ownership for the regressive canard that it is. And I thought, okay, so some guy take with a bone to pick against the housing market is taking shots. Well, except he's not some nobody slinging unique ideas from the sidelines. He's the president of the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation. That's the branch of the federal government that's trying, allegedly, to find ways to make home ownership accessible to Canadians. Bit of a head-scratcher. Tim Hudak is the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. He joins us now. Tim, thanks for doing this today. Yeah, of course, Scott, for sure. I, uh, I read this story twice and had to check the date because I thought, oh, maybe it's April Fool's and I'm reading the Beaverton or something. I, I'm a little puzzled by this. Yeah, you know, it, it, it does puzzle you. I appreciate the reaction you described a moment ago. You know, it also makes me angry, and I'll tell you why. Like, uh, you know, for somebody who made tons of money on, on Bay Street, uh, people like Mr. Sadal, you know, can afford multiple houses for their family and for their kids. But the problem is, if you have that kind of attitude, it's very dangerous because if you don't come from a rich family, if you didn't make a killing on Bay Street, you're saving up every, every buck you've got to be able to afford a home that's a really elite and dramatically out-of-touch attitude, and quite frankly, it's dangerous when it comes to housing policy. Well, okay, as I understand what he's saying in the rest of this speech, as much as I've read of it, 
Uh, he would like us to be renters, all of us to be renters of high density apartment units. And since we're not going to be owners, we're not supposed to own our homes or our buildings, I guess. I presume the landlord of these buildings would then all be the government. So we'd just be giving our money to them. Uh, maybe I'm misinterpreting what he's saying, but that sounds very 1970s Soviet. <laughs> and, and that didn't turn out so hot, uh, did it? Look, do you ever, ever notice that the people that have these theories that sort of look down their noses at, you know, everybody else and say, you don't need a house, you should be satisfied with, you know, government rental or whatever. You ever notice they're the ones that live in really large houses and big properties? It's good enough for them, but not for everybody else. Look, the, the reason I'm feeling optimistic, though, is that, you know, despite that rather elitist opinion by the head of the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation, it's the politicians who make the ultimate decisions and give the marching orders. And, Scott, in the run-up to that last national campaign, the Ontario Realtors put a number of ideas on the table to help bring homeownership closer to the average person in Hamilton or across Ontario. And each of those parties, whether Liberal, Conservative, New Democrat, or Green, they actually brought some stuff to the table. And Prime Minister Trudeau has recently directed his finance minister to revisit that one-size-fits-all straitjacket that's called the stress test. So Mr. Sadal might not like it, but I think Ontario's who are looking to own a home will like it a lot. Here's my concern, though, with what he says, is I, I wholeheartedly support his right to speak and to make his comments and to have his opinions and to express them. But now that they're out in the open, I'm positive that there are people who hadn't considered this before who will latch onto this, who maybe are on that side of the political spectrum and say, you know what? Absolutely. That's where we should be going. And it's how things like this start to get some traction. Well, well, look, I mean, there's always going to be people that have radical opinions. So we welcome that debate in a country like Canada. But the good news is the vast majority of Ontarians do not believe those values. You know, there's always a theory that millennials will somehow be different, that they're not going to want to own a home, that they'll want to you know, live in skybox rentals in dense urban areas forever. So we said, you know what, Scott, let's actually ask them. So we pulled up to a 1,000 millennials from across Ontario and they did want to own their own place, just like the parents or grandparents. The only difference is they can't afford it because their incomes have not grown as fast as housing prices. So what do you do about it? Well, you increase housing supply and choice. And to their credit, the Ford government in Ontario is on the right track in bringing forward pro-supply and pro-choice uh, legislation when it comes to homes. You make sure people have good mortgage tools, like an access to a 30-year mortgage, for example, or making that stress test more flexible and dynamic in place so they don't treat everybody the same no matter where they are. These options are on the table, and the positive thing as we begin 2020 is more the government officials, the actual deciders, if you will, like our ideas and reject that elite opinion. How, uh, and your, your idea, okay, your idea is interesting and your idea may well work, but how do we then, because this is what I think a lot of millennials especially are saying is, all right, I like the idea, more supply, more opportunities, but then the people who are the speculators and the people who come in with big money are just going to buy up these homes anyway as investments, and I'm still not going to be able to get a property. Yeah, I mean, you got to make sure that you, uh, you do increase uh, supply. If you create, if you limit supply, that's when you're most likely to get a, a, a speculatory impact like that. They'll say, okay, houses are scarce, let's, let's pick them up. But if you increase supply and choice across the spectrum, that's the best way to address this issue. And that could be, you know, more detached homes by bringing more land that is not environmentally sensitive into play, building transportation networks where there's roads or go transit to access them. It also means more choices in urban areas. Governments could do things like building above GO stations, for example. That might be a good choice for 
commuters and also allow innovative policies like, you know, tiny houses is one thing you could do in urban areas, co-ownership. Or another area on the rental side is to clear out these old, outdated 1970s bylaws that dramatically restrict secondary suites. You know, homes that rent out the basement or above the garage give rental choices in every neighborhood, not just in big apartment buildings. And secondly, that helps a typical middle-class family pay down the mortgage up to 25% faster when they get the rent. You work in this field all the time. So how often have you heard views like this before? And and I mean, I, I suppose they're out there for sure, but from people who have positions of authority or positions of power within the housing world, have you heard this before? Uh, no, it certainly will exist in academic circles, and, and there's no doubt that, you know, people uh, sometimes who are very rich or are too comfortable lose sight of what's happening, you know, among average hardworking people in Hamilton, Burlington, Niagara, or anywhere in Ontario. Uh, look, government policy right now, by imposing these additional mortgage restrictions, limiting housing supply, works for one type of person the kind of person who comes from a wealthy family can tap into the bank of mom or dad. But those who are struggling to get into the middle class, that they're paying their bills and saving every dollar they can scratch together, entrepreneurs, new Canadians, and millennials, they're paying the price. And public policy should help out those people, the people who are scrambling to get ahead and playing by the rules, not to benefit the already wealthy and well-connected. Tim Hudak, the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. Thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. You bet. Thank you for your interest. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.